Welcome to a special episode of the CA Agenda podcast as part of Mental Health Awareness Week brought to you by ICAS. On this episode, I'm joined by Aisha Sheikh Anen. Aisha trained as a chartered accountant with the National Audit Office, auditing the UK government and then later the Audit Commission. She now works with the Ford Motor Company within commercial vehicle product development and Aisha works in a cross-functional team on global regulatory emissions programs, including electrified powertrain solutions. Aisha is an advocate for positive mental well-being and is currently the chair of the Board of Trustees at the Mental Health Foundation. Since 1949, the Mental Health Foundation has been the UK's leading charity for everyone's mental health. With prevention at the heart of what the organisation does to find and address the sources of mental health problems so that people and communities can thrive. Aisha's involvement with the Mental Health Foundation started in 2016 where she undertook the role of treasurer. During this time the organisation had undergone a transformation which has culminated in a renewed vision and strategy for the organisation. At the time when Aisha accepted the role of chair the world had started to change in response to the global pandemic. With mental health and well-being becoming one of the defining topics of the global pandemic, the Mental Health Foundation has been at the forefront of evidence-based research and its priorities within its strategies remain relevant and more important than ever as we transition from a full lockdown over the coming weeks and months. Through her work with the Mental Health Foundation, Aisha is committed to ensuring better mental health for all. Welcome to the podcast, Aisha. It's great to have you here. So Aisha... Let's start by chatting through your career journey. You have a background in audit, having spent time as a senior auditor at both the National Audit Office and the Audit Commission. But in between those roles, you spent some time as a researcher for a two-part series which aired on the National Geographic channel. Can you tell us a bit about how that came about and what the experience was like? Yeah, so... Um, Thank you for having me, first of all, on the podcast. Um, Yeah, so I qualified with the National Audit Office um, back in early 2003 Um, and and then a few years later I joined the Audit Commission and in between I had an accident, I was knocked down and um, lost all of my front teeth uh, as I flew into the curbstone which I really do not recommend Um, and having qualified in or having sat the finals in the November I just thought, right, I think I need to get a change. Uh, And so an opportunity had arisen in Nigeria um, through a contact of mine who, um, Charles Anyagolu, who was was the BBC correspondent to Nigeria and also at the time was an anchorman for the um, CNN breakfast show. Um, And he had his own um, um, production company called spirit creations and I acted as a researcher on two documentaries which were then later aired on National Geographic um so that's how it came about um one was on Lagos airport and it was just fantastic um we were on the runway as um as jets were coming in uh we'd been into the air traffic control tower we had access and it was fantastic and we filmed for about three three weeks for a 56 minute uh, documentary um and it was it was just fantastic wow what a journey indeed and i'm really sorry to hear about that accident but i guess that's quite a transition from the national audit office and i guess i'd love to know what were your main learnings from that project 
the biggest impact that that had was really about connecting with people wherever they are, wherever they're from, um, which is one of my strengths. I read um, How to Win Friends and Influence People when I was about 11, um, thanks to my cousin. Um, And just creating relationships and trust and bonds with people. Um, I'm so interested in people with who have different backgrounds to me, different experiences and different passions, um, whether that be snooker or uh, or um, gardening or anything, anything that's so different from me that, and p- people that I can learn from. And I think um, that was my biggest joy from that period. And I was out there for about a year and a half and had a great time, had a great time in Nigeria. It was a lot of fun, a lot of fun. I can really resonate with that. I guess I guess the benefits of international experience and travel really can't be underestimated. It broadens your perspectives and understanding of other cultures and backgrounds and gives new experiences, which ultimately makes you a better person professionally and, and personally. Now, there's one important fact which I must mention to our listeners, and that is the fact that you are ACA qualified and the first ACA member to join our podcast. And I must say it's wonderful to have an ICAW member join. And I'll make a personal promise not to hold it against you. (laughs) And I won't hold it against you that you're ICAS either. Now, moving on to the work you're doing now, alongside your current role at Ford, you've also been working with the Mental Health Foundation for almost five years now, and you're currently the chairman of the Board of Trustees. Can you tell us a bit about what drove you to work on this agenda and topic? Yeah, so um, back in... 2016 um, I was seeing an executive coach um, called Stephen Park and um, discussing opportunities that would help me grow and develop. Um, I love learning Um, so really trying to find something that was maybe something not so traditional in terms of accounting but really used a skill set and allowed me to grow. So um, it was through his network that I joined the Mental Health Foundation in 2016 as treasurer. Um, And that was quite a comfortable role. It was, its numbers are very certain, aren't they? You can tell a story from the numbers, uh, something that I'm good at. Um, And then in, on the 1st of July of uh, 2020, just as um, the whole world was, uh, Um, feeling the impact of COVID and also the the murder of George Floyd. Um, I became, I took up the role of chair having interviewed for the position some months earlier. Um, And I think that it was just the perfect time for me to step into the role, Um, both from my background as a South Asian female with children uh, who are half Nigerian, um, who's had personal experiences um, of racism and how that affects my life and and the way in which I um, perhaps act and um, mould myself to different situations, almost like a chameleon. Um, So I think that what I bring to, to MHF as a chair it's really a different point of view. Um, 
And I, I should also say, actually, that my family is very mixed, both religiously and and in terms of race. So um, I, I've got quite a wide spectrum of uh, influence, of uh, opinion, which I can hopefully analyse, process and make sure that when we're when I'm suggesting something that's influencing strategy or about how we're going to address racism for example that I've got I'm not one-sided and we're really bringing everyone along. Um, I also think that one of the um, other things that I bring as chair and really from I'm a great fan of Brene Brown um, who's a leadership expert and she talks about daring leadership and leadership. And I would say that I'm quite empathetic. Uh, I don't have a lot of ego. Uh, but when daring also means about being a bit vulnerable and asking questions and not. And as an auditor, I don't mind. Or I'm quite comfortable asking questions that sound quite basic. Um, so... I think I bring a different flair of leadership to the team. I've got a great, I work with a great board of trustees and a great senior management team as well. Um, And these are different times. And I really do think that I'm uniquely placed to um, take Mental Health Foundation through their strategy, which um, was a five-year strategy published in 2019. So started, we published in uh, November 2019, and it covers 2020 to 2025. Um, it's, it's, it's very rewarding. It's very rewarding. Um, and I got in specifically, why would it have been Mental Health Foundation? What was my interest? Well, my a friend of mine, young female, uh, outwardly successful, suffered with her mental health and had an experience where she felt that she wanted to take her own life, and that was quite tough. And I have two children uh, who are going to be fifteen and seventeen this year, and I really wanted to be able to have a to learn about how I could protect their mental health and build some resilience in them. Um, like what MHF stands for in terms of it's, we, we want um, good mental health for all by a prevention. So I think doing things continually as we do for our physical well, well-being to do the same for our mental well-being. What I'm hearing on one side is that you've got that professional rigour and expertise as an ACA and as a business professional to inform strategy, finance, and overall oversight of an organisation. But there's also a piece around lived experience from so many different lenses, right? So as a person of colour, a South Asian female, your diverse family background and upbringing, and also your own experience with mental health within your personal network and the journey you've been on with that. So it seems the role with the Mental Health Foundation is perfectly aligned to your values and purpose there. Okay, so there's a lot to unpack there. And the first question for me really is around COVID-19 and the pandemic. So over the past year, the subject of mental well-being and the effects the COVID-19 pandemic is having on people's mental health have been widely discussed. 
in a way, it must be positive that people are beginning to have a more open and honest conversation about their own mental health. But it's also a bit upsetting that it took a global pandemic to get us to that point. And there's hope that that spotlight and focus on mental well-being will continue going forward. So I wanted to get your thoughts on how COVID-19 has affected mental well-being of people and communities more generally, and also the work of the Mental Health Foundation in that respect. So I think just going back to what you said regarding um, it's being positive that people are beginning to have these open discussions, that's where we that's where we want to be. We want to see in the same way that we said, oh, I've, I've got a bit of a headache or all my all my joints hurt as 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 a someone that's entering her mid forties. I have uh, lots of ailments now. Um, but do we do we as a society or have we as a society said, well, no, actually, I'm feeling a bit down or I'm feeling a bit anxious. And I think those conversations are becoming more and more um, common. Um, I think that having having the strength within the personal strength within ourselves to be that when we're asked how are you doing we can say actually I'm not fine I'm feeling a bit down and this has happened and um for it not to feel like it's a burden um to tell someone about it or that there is any um shame associated with that I think I think that's quite a big thing I'm almost tempted to say with regards to did it take the global pandemic for this to come around to say mm, maybe 50%. I think a lot was changing. Um, I think what the princes were doing with Heads Together and um, there are so many other charities, either service providers or not, that have really helped. So there's Papyrus, there's Rethink Mental Health, there's Mind, Samaritans, that they're that they've really shone in this time um, and really been able to reach out through their digital platforms to reach audiences that perhaps wouldn't have been so open to discussing their mental health. Um, but I think people have realised during this period that it's actually quite stressful to manage so many different balls. And it was all, and because it was a collective experience, that it was okay to talk about it a bit more. I definitely feel the stigma to talk about mental health has reduced, especially in the context of it being a global experience, as you mentioned. And no doubt some people in communities still have those challenges, and we're on that journey to reduce those social barriers. But what about the stats? What do they say on this? I mean, stats, if we look at the stats over the past year, and Mental Health Foundation have done studies all throughout and with several waves, what we've, what we've concluded is that actually, if we were to look at stats for people presenting in hospital with um, acute mental health issues, that, that dropped. People were not presenting as much. Um, and the second point, is that the um, suicide rate didn't necessarily have show an uptick. So if we were to look at just those two markers with regards to mental health, we perhaps come to the conclusion that, in fact, there isn't a problem, nothing 
got worse during during um, COVID. But of course, we know that that's not true. We know um, from other from from other markers that in fact, eighteen to nineteen year olds are really suffering. They're feeling very disillusioned with what their um, future holds for them. Um, and as we know, that poor young boy, Richard, who was found uh, after taking his life in Epping Forest, I mean, is just one of probably very many. And it's as lockdown eases, there's a lot, there's a lot of anxiety and there will be a need for some sort of structured approach to, to assist people from end user as well as managing as well, managing better and building that resilience. And I know that the government and Scotland have been particularly good as well with investing in these extra services to meet that to meet that demand. Um, and just one thing associated with that. So last year, our Mental Health Awareness Week um, topic was kindness. And I think we really found how valuable people were to each other. And I think that's really helped. I think people have found that and found that of great a great source of strength and support uh, within their communities and families. So um, I think that I think that's that's quite a big thing in this opening up of, sh- of of talking about this shared experience that we've had. Thank you for sharing your insights and thoughts. There's definitely an important message in there around the power and need for collective humanity. I'm reminded of another CA who joined our podcast a few episodes back. Johnny Jacob, and he talks a lot around mental health in the workplace and often frames the discussion around mental health as mental fitness. So just as we look at our physical fitness, we should be looking after our mental well-being and thinking about it as a fitness exercise and even seeing a therapist as a personal trainer of sorts to help you navigate those challenges and problems. And it's something that's always resonated with me as an as an avid gym goer. So Aisha, you mentioned business there. And there are many studies and reports on the cost of mental ill health. And more recently, there's a study that calculated the cost to UK businesses of mental ill health was a staggering £34.9 billion. Now, that is a huge cost and equates to nearly £1,300 for every employee in the UK economy. So what could businesses be doing right now to support the well-being of their staff? So I think acknowledging... Um, that one that people have a mental health and that this and that mental health has an impact on performance um and I feel that I'm quite lucky so when I I work at Ford and I have done for the last 17 years and I love the work that I do um and there's passion there and Ford have been able to um roll out across the organization mental health um, support via mental health first aiders. So there are a couple of things that can happen. So internally, there are um, the HR departments could get in touch with people that are that can train their staff and make it almost mandatory in the same that we have in the same way we perhaps have to do code of conduct training um, to participate in training to to build that resilience and and I say build resilience because that's where we want to get to in terms of a prevention agenda but not exclusively um but not exclusively doing just that 
also trying to seek help and knowing where to seek that help. I mean, there are lots of organisations and um, I, I can signpost um, and provide you with some information for your members, if you'd like, as to where they could go for if you're a male or if you are a young person. Um, so that's that's definitely about building a resource hub for mental health. There are people, so Mental Health Foundation, for example, have got Mental Health at Work who provide training. Um, Johnny Jacobs is one of our trustees and he's amazing and, and um, has successfully implemented at Pladis a mental health wellbeing um, scheme um, that had a massive difference, uh, an absolutely massive difference. So the steps that you need to take from an organisational point of view can be facilitated by um, outsourcing some of that work very effectively. Um, and then there are also things that people can do themselves. Um, so, for example, um, I, liking, I liken uh, a mental health toolkit to being like a... Um, a first aid kit. So, what what would you put in there? Would you you'd want something to that that met a lot of the scope of an what injury that you might suffer? And what you put in it is personal. You need to find what works for you. Within my toolkit, music very loud, uh, gardening, um, dancing, socialising with friends, running. Now, some of those are are things that I can do on my own. Some are to do with other people. And it depends how I'm feeling at the time as to which one that I would participate in. So I think that there there needs to be an acknowledgement from an individual point of view as well, that there's a responsibility for ourselves, for our... So as a single parent myself, so for myself, I need to be strong enough for my children. Um, and that having that fitness that we're talking about in terms of your physical fitness and... Um, your mental fitness needs needs work regularly. Given mental health challenges can be so broad, I really like the analogy of a first aid kit to help deal with whatever issue or ailment an individual may be dealing with or managing. Yeah, absolutely. And also that sometimes, and if people have suffered bereavement and a lot during this period as well, that this too shall pass. And sometimes that's, quite helpful to hear that this too and it, and it's not easy I lost my mum in 2016 but we do have a strength that often we we don't see um but of course and and of course for me as as a mother of a um a young young man um men find it very difficult to talk to people and it's one of the suicides you know the biggest killer and I'd like to be able to contribute to opening up conversations and and ways in which tool to to, to to tell people about tools that can be used to help them the biggest one of which is talking and, and, and men often don't like to talk um, there is there's a certain amount of vulnerability that comes from talking it's not seen to be the dumb thing on social media although that is changing um, I just, I, ju I just think that we shouldn't think about the solution to mental ill health in always being clinical. Um, 
that we can do things to support one another. And I and I don't mean um, by that not just um, pull your socks up, you'll be fine. But there's the, the the energy exchange from talking to people can really enrich your life in so many ways, and that kind of empathy um, is so good for your mental health. Aisha, thank you first off for sharing some very personal stories there. For example, your mother pa- passing. I know it takes a lot of courage to share stories like that. I'd be really keen to understand where your own personal passion for promoting mental health came from. So it really was my young friend who is about 15, who is about 15 years younger than me. I mean, the, the issues that she experienced and want, and the feelings of wanting to take her own life. Um, the protection of my children's mental health and resilience and tools to enable them to move forward through life with everything that it brings with them, both both um, things that come about during a certain circle of life um, and others that are caused by whatever it might be, the, 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 the number of other factors. So that's really what gave me the passion and thought this is what this is why I want to um why I'm interested in mental health and therefore MHF was a great fit for me um for me I've had lived experience of anxiety and depression so when my mum died in 2016 it was tough and she had suffered from cancer for a number of years and despite doing a lot of grieving while she was still alive that sense of loss clearly um is quite tough and it comes in it ebbs and flows over months and then years I think that for me helping people is quite is very important and helping them to deal with situations that really shake you to your core um, is important to me Um, and for us and I think to sum it to sum up what we're trying to do at MHF uh, even though this isn't our tagline is to keep people happy um, because prevention means that you're living your best life um, and I want everyone to be able to to enjoy that. Thank you, Aisha, for sharing that with us. And moving on slightly and touching on some of the points you mentioned earlier, you joined the Mental Health Foundation around the same time the world witnessed the brutal murder of George Floyd. And as a person of colour and also the international reaction that surrounded it, how did this influence your role at the Mental Health Foundation? Um, so I actually wrote a blog around the, uh, around the, the time that it happened. Um, it touched me, the, the death, the murder, uh, touched me very deep, touched me very deeply um, because I know that my children are very aware of racism, um, even at their younger age. and the, and um, it wasn't something that I could just read. So I, I haven't watched the footage even to this day. So we're, we're a year on, almost a year on, and I haven't watched the footage because I just I just can't. Um, so, but I just, I sent in the blog, I've said, you know, this affects me very deeply. It feels very personal. I want to take my son out for a run. Uh, sorry, I want to go out for a run. I want to take my son with me. And I'm like, actually, you're better off going on your own. Don't take your son with you. Um, 
there was a lot of fear and I mean just so upsetting personally but it but you know because MHF is just such a fantastic place uh, we started um looking at race very very um with a lot of attention, engaged the team. Mark Rowland, the chief executive at the Mental Health Foundation, and myself published um, a blog, a joint blog in early April regarding our action plan on race and diversity. This came out after a, a review that was carried out by Gillian Niche um, regarding um, race within our organisation. And if our strategy is that we are trying to um, promote prevention and good mental health for all of the UK, well, then we need to make sure that we are reaching all of the UK. So we've made some, we've made financial um, commitments uh, to growing diversity across the organisation, um, including 20% of the board and leadership team from diverse racial backgrounds. The board itself from about 2018, I say that we have, we've done really well on that. We've got diversity of race, religion and experience uh, and gender. Um, and that was a very, that was um, an, an active goal of ours to ensure that that was happening. Um, but we've, we've made sure we've, We've gone through and we've um, come up with this action, this action plan. And the main points would be that I'm accountable for driving progress along with the CEO on um, how we're held to account on our approach to race and diversity. Um, we've got public targets and we'll need to report on those targets. Um, and the deadline for that is 2024. And then we'll, we'll develop more targets after that. Uh, that all of the areas of the organisation would address um, these inequalities. Um, and that would mean that we'd be reaching and doing the research and the evidence-based work within those communities that, that perhaps have not been uh, looked at so far. Um, and to have um, a senior post for um, inclusion and diversity which is really important. And that's, I think, a lot of businesses would be also going through the same assessment of how they best address uh, diversity and inclusion. And one of our uh, very specific points was that the person that we recruit wouldn't just be the only person responsible for um, diversity and inclusion. That doesn't take away the onus from everybody else. Um, and I think that's that's quite Im, Im, important as well. Thank you, Aisha, for sharing your valuable insights there. It's a journey many organisations are going on, and I completely agree with the need for a senior post on DNI, the shared individual and collective responsibility, and clear accountability and reporting. So, Aisha, the theme this year for Mental Health Awareness Week is nature, and people have really rediscovered the joy of being in nature during the pandemic. And that, that goes for myself as well. So how do you feel being in nature benefits your mental well-being? Yeah, so let me just let me just go back to how people are feeling about being out in nature. So in our study, um, half, almost half actually, 
45% of people had told us that going for a, a walk outside helped them cope. And there's been, you know, those findings are echoed by other research too, that, you know, whether it's visiting nature or and, and noticing it, just whatever that little noticing might be, whether it's a squirrel or whether it's a bird, or whether it's a flower that's bloomed, that you're tracking that's bloomed over a couple of days. Um, it really it really helps us. The word that's coming up now with regards to nature is about connectedness. Um, and that's how we relate to nature. I personally am a really keen gardener. I can potter endlessly in my garden. I enjoy the planting, the raking of the leaves, um, just anything I like. I I refuse to have artificial grass in my garden. I love walking barefoot on the grass. I find it grounds me. I love just sitting on the grass and looking at the insects that are running through. And there's such beauty in in um, flowers when they're all in blossom um, and and also in leaves. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm I love trees, and so my one of my local forests, Hainault Forest, is just amazing um and if anyone's interested there's a very there's a very good book called the hidden life of trees by um a german forester and it just taught and it's it's just pure wonder i i read the book and just smile just just smile so um i think that i think that for me it's something that can be done inexpensively and I think that's really important I think that Covid's been quite a difficult time for a lot of people in that respect um, and is open to all I absolutely love that Aisha the word that really stands out to me is connectedness especially when we look at nature well because it's a connected ecosystem right and it's something that we're all part of it also provides us the ability to connect with loved ones around us. So there's definitely a lot to be said for the power of nature for positive well-being. And so moving on slightly, do you have any tips or advice for people who may be concerned about either their own mental well-being or that of a family member or friend? You can present at A&E. And if you are feeling that way, that you should go to A&E. If you can find strength to do so try and reach out to someone and and often I mean if you're depressed for example as I have had periods of that you I sorry I'm going to talk as in in the first one because I don't want to people's experiences might be different my experiences were my experience was that you lacked energy you were like what am I going to say you just feel overwhelmed um so if it's for yourself, try and reach out to someone. It doesn't You don't have to tell everyone. You can just tell one person and just say, no, I'm not feeling so great today um, and let that develop into a conversation. Um, if it's, if you know that a friend is struggling, and I think this is really key, and I'm quite a keen letter writer. Um, I do love buying my, um, my collection of stamps off the Royal Mail website. Um, and I like to just drop people a card just to check in with them. Um, one, because it made a difference when I was I was going through my anxiety and depression after my mum died. It just made a massive difference. Be brave enough to just 
to, to ask the question about how are you doing to your friends and be willing to listen to the answer and not necessarily solicit advice either. There are sometimes physical manifestations of how stress feels as well. And you might want to suggest to that person that you go for a walk together or you practice your breathing together as you're walking. And it, for it not to become a therapy session, um, that especially if it's right at the beginning, that you just want to go out and walk. You don't want to have to talk about it, but you need the company. And I think we've all probably felt like that at some point. Um, I will, of course, um, as I've spoken about in early parts of this podcast, share the um, different organisations that provide end user services um, for if you're for specific demographics so there is of course um, Mind and Samaritans um, there's also Papyrus that I mentioned for young people, Young Minds, Rethink, um, Calm, the campaign against living miserably which is specifically for um men um to, to support from other males um thank you again aisha for sharing your valuable advice and, and thoughts there i know they'll be hugely invaluable to our listeners and i know what i've personally taken away from it is number one around understanding the issue as you could have physical manifestations from that there's also a piece around truly listening so not soliciting advice but truly listening and finally getting formal support and that signposting of services that, that may be required. Can I just add one more thing to that? That many of us that have got children and um, I think that the biggest assistance that we can be to our children is to have those conversations. And and I know that with teenage children, you, you can, that they suddenly disappear into their rooms and, uh, and are online straight away. But just whether it's a dinner once a week for everyone to say how they're feeling, you know, what's been happening, how their friends are, because that will have an impact. And really that that connection. Um, and I think, I don't think it's an easy thing to do with teenagers especially, but I think, you know, it's it's necessary. And it would help parents' well-being as well because we were only interested in the well-being of our children. So I think that's definitely something that could help to ensure that people are having, uh, that the younger generation continue to have these conversations and that um, interventions aren't needed as much for as many people because um, prevention plays a big part in their, in, in their daily lives. Completely agree and thank you for that, Aisha. I think it really goes back to normalising the conversations around mental health. And to be honest, one of the most important places to normalise that conversation is at home. So that's all we have time for today, I'm afraid. And thank you so much for sharing your time and thoughts with us. I think we could have easily carried on for much longer. The conversation has been hugely invaluable to understand your career journey, the importance of mental health and the vital work the Mental Health Foundation is doing and how to build a toolkit to promote positive well-being both individually and within an organisation. So if any of the listeners wanted to reach out to yourself, how could they reach out to you? Um, so quite happy for people to connect with me over Twitter. Um, so my handle there is at Aisha Anna. So um, cleverly, I've spelt my name differently on there. Um, it's A Y E S H A A N E N E. 
Fantastic. Thank you so much, Aisha. We'll be sure to share all the resources discussed in the po- in this podcast in the show notes and also direct our members to the CA Wellbeing page on iCast.com for any support. Thanks again, Aisha, and look forward to having you back on the show at some point in the future. Thank you. Thank you for having me.